0: right welcome along to another episode of the how i caught the wrestling bug podcast i'm your host david lovell delighted to say i'm joined this week by someone who sort of refers to himself as a retired podcast host uh justin Payne. justin how's it going
1: it's going well thank you so much for having me on i've been very excited to be a part of this
0: it's a pleasure to have you on. So so why did you sort of decide not to do podcasts anymore? Was there a particular reason for that or?
1: Um well actually it was it was kind of funny because my early time subscribing to the Figure 4 website and being an active member. Well, I say active in that I was on the board all the time, but I was more of a lurker and and <laughs> less of a poster. I think to this day I've I've had I've been an active subscriber to the website since October of 2005. And I think to this day, I'm somewhere in the neighborhood of just over 1200 total posts.
0: So I've been around
1: for a while, but not constantly active necessarily. But out of um, some of those early years, and some of my um, going to the early Las Vegas conventions that we've had over the years, I got to meet some people and out of that got into trying my hand at podcasting. So um, after my first trip in two thousand and nine, there were three of us that got together and had a short-lived run on a on a show that we tried to actually keep very non-wrestling related. And then out of that, um, one uh, one guy and I, um, who most people who might have been on the board in the earlier days knew as Blue Fist, um, he's become a really good friend of mine. Um, Ken, he and I went on to do a podcast by the name of Milk of minutia, which was fun. And it didn't really touch too much on um, pro wrestling or mixed martial arts. We did a lot of pop culture related stuff, and a lot of our guests were centered more around um, comedy and um, music and some of just kind of pop culture entertainment in general. And so that ran for three years or so. And just because um, we're on opposite coast, he's in New York and I'm out here in Washington, just east of Seattle. Um, And it was in the early days of podcasting, so the technology was still way behind, very primitive. We just had um, just time differences and all the work that went into trying to get the guests, get segments recorded, and then try and stitch it together down the line. Um, It just kind of quietly ended in 2013. And so since then, I really haven't gotten back into it. Ken has continued on. He did... uh, the mma dude bro podcast which some people may be familiar with and and he's now just kind of started another new venture so i'm not saying the door is completely closed you'll never say never but as of right now it's it's i've been out of
0: the game for a little <laughs> while so um you're you're based in washington how, how far are you yes. up from the uh, the beautiful studios of, of Buffalo, washington
1: I live in Buffalo myself. I'm about 10 minutes from Brian's house. Um, Not to to brag too much. I ended up being Brian's very first actual uh, jujitsu student. I started training out of his garage after he bought his house that he and Whitney live in now. And uh, I started training with Brian and Whitney and Admin, Tony, um, and a few other people. So I've got some familiarity.
0: Of course, this podcast, we go back and we sort of discover how the guests become a fan in the first place and, ha- and how their fandom has evolved over the years. And the first question I sort of put to everyone is, what's your earliest memory of wrestling? So when when would you have first encountered wrestling?
1: The first memory I have would have come in uh, mid-1987, um, my father's family had gotten together on a Saturday uh, afternoon and best I can recollect it was might have been most likely to celebrate like some birthdays cause my a lot of my family members all have birthdays at the end of May early June um, so I had a, I have a cousin that's about a year and a half younger than me and we spent a lot of time together growing up playing on the weekends and stuff and, and at his house at our grandparents house and such and so we'd have this one Saturday that we'd been going all day. We'd been inside and outside playing, and we kind of had a lull, and uh, kind of hit hit a wall, and and we're mellowing out for a little while. And so we hit turn on the TV, and he started flipping through channels, and he came across um, the Jim Crockett Promotions Saturday Night 6:05 show, and he said, "Oh, dude, you gotta you gotta check this out." And so we sat down and watched. And I'm pretty, best I can recollect, we were probably an hour halfway into the show. Um, It wasn't right from the start. We kind of joined in progress that day. And I don't have any specific memories of specific matches or, um, you know, performers that were on at the time. I did, once the network started and I was able to kind of go back, they added all those episodes. I tried to go back at one point and watch Room and see if anything kind of jogged my memory but nothing that i was ever able to to come across really did that so it's it's somewhere in that mid 1987 post wrestlemania 3 um era that that i i saw that show and i was hooked like instantaneously
0: who were the wrestlers that sort of first captured your imagination as a kid when you first got into it
1: well, kind of based on that, from what I remember, it would have been, you know, the Road Warriors and uh, Flair and the Horsemen, you know, and then it was kind of right in that same time that, um, you know, Jim Crockett would have been the first thing I saw. But then uh, I did catch, I want to say, like WWF Superstars, which was on Saturdays here, Saturday afternoon around noon, um, caught that, you know, so I would have seen Hogan and Savage and and everybody that were riding high at that time. And the thing was, of course, many people will most likely remember this. set. In nineteen eighty seven we didn't have digital television, you know, we had cable top boxes that you hooked up to your TV. If if your T V didn't go up past twenty or thirty stations and and your cable provider had more, you had to get a, an extra box to hit some of those higher channels. But they didn't have a digital um, listing of all the programs and everything. So what we w- were left to resort to was the newspaper provided a weekly insert where you you know gave you all the television shows and times from Sunday through Monday. And then there was a publication um, by the name of TV Guide, which I think is still in some maybe in existence in some form, um, where you you could subscribe to it and it was mailed to your house or you could pick it up at the at the store on the newsstand and it would go, you know, same thing was kind of a more detailed TV listing for every station, every day, every hour and I, once I got into pro wrestling and saw those first couple of shows I just started grabbing that thing and scouring it looking for any listing I could find that said wrestling, that referred to wrestling. Sometimes they would have a breakdown towards the back that would list like specific, like WWF superstars or, or wrestling challenge and or Saturday night's main events And so I would do everything in my power to search out any bit of wrestling programming that was available to me at the time.
0: And what was the first live show you would have attended?
1: So I had I did a little research because no exact dates, but it ended up being. Go here. It was in November of 1988. I believe it was November 11th was the date. But it ended up being a taping for Saturday night's main events in Seattle at the old Seattle Coliseum, which wound up becoming Key Arena a little bit later on. And it's now in the process of being deconstructed and rebuilt as um, it's going to be called Climate Pledge Arena and it's going to be the home of our incoming NHL franchise. And so, yeah, that that was taped on. It would have happened on November 11th, and then it ended up airing um, on November 28th, 1987. It was the 12th episode of Saturday Night's Main Events, and it is most memorable because it featured a singles match between Bret Hart and Randy Savage. And it was... Right. I'm I'm almost certain it was included on, on compilations for both guys. And it yeah. was a big, famous match where... Uh, Savage, had, of course, had Elizabeth at ringside, and Brett had um, Nightheart and Jimmy Hart with him, and Brett worked over uh, Savage's ankle to the point that he had to uh, loosen his boot up, and he, he stole it, you know, spectacularly through the match. And um, at the time, of course, you know, I was nine years old and in the arena, you know, it's a good match, and it's fun, and, and you really get into it. But then kind of later on, years later, uh, you get older, and you start listening, and people start talking about, it and then you go back and watch it, kind of with a fresh set of eyes, and you realize how great it really was, and it turned out to be something just unbelievable that I I was there alive for.
0: So from that point, you know, from from starting to watch wrestling in in like eighty seven, you know, through to now, so sort of thirty four years at any point did you stop watching it altogether did you ever ever sort of lose interest altogether in wrestling
1: yeah. yes um a about late 92 sometime into 93 i would say it's kind of like it fits almost right in that time that you hear about kind of like wcw and wwf both having the big big droughts and in the big dips in business um at that time you know i'm i'm a teenager, late teens, I was going into my freshman year of high school, you know, ninth grade, and um, growing up, outside of of my cousin, who I referred to earlier, I never really had any other friends that were as into wrestling as me. You know, I always kind of tried to to get people interested, and like, I remember there were times when I was younger, and, and I would go spend the night at a friend's house on a Friday or Saturday night, and the big thing would be you get to go to the video store and rent videotapes. And at that time, this was before, like, Blockbuster and some of the big chains. So you had these very small mom-and-pop-type shops and, you know, kind of had a pretty good tape selection in those early years. And I would, I remember one instance when I, I was at a friend's house and we went to rent a video and, and I was trying to talk them into renting, I don't know, WrestleMania or something. And his mom's like, you know, I'm sorry. my His stepdad really doesn't care for wrestling, and that's not (laughs) something that we're all going to sit and enjoy. Um, So, you know, as I got into being a teen and in those years, like, say, around 92, 93, wrestling wasn't cool to begin with, and I was starting to feel that pull of wanting to be cool and fit in, and, like, my, you know, not only did I kind of get away from walking wrestling, my music tastes were changing, all sorts of stuff kind of, it wasn't just a pro wrestling thing necessarily, but um, so I kind of I realize in hindsight that I faded away at that point. I still would kind of catch myself checking in. I'd, I'd turn on a show every so often, but I definitely stopped following you know closely, um, and that went until late '96. Um, I was away at college for a year and. Um, some of the guys that lived in the same dorm as me were watching it. And so I remember, you know, we kind of had like a central um, seating area, living room area and and a public television. And I remember them having a raw on sometime late in the year and everybody was, you know, talking about it. And I kind of caught wind of it and kind of like, oh yeah, you know, kind of curious to see where things are at now. So, from there, I kind of, I think I started watching a little more, a little more. Um, and then later on, you know, that after school, get back home that summer. And, and from there, it kind of took off. I think also with um, the Internet having kind of moved, you know, kind of grown into its toddler years by then, um, the that's when the information was more readily available. You could follow along. You could start researching stuff online. You could, you know, Get the news scoops and and get results and stuff like that was starting to take hold, so it also helped kind of pull me back in. I'd
0: say so, and also sort of late '96, the Monday Night Wars are really sort of starting to take,
1: really yeah, starting to
0: take shape at that point. So yeah, it was it was probably quite a good time to get back into wrestling anyway around sort of late '96.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because you know I I never had really. I've never watched a pay-per-view live. I mean, all these years I've been a big fan. You know, I was always um, in the group where I had to wait until it came out later on video and I could go rent it. And, you know, I'd be waiting a couple months down the line for something that that was initially on pay-per-view. And it was was, um, Mania 17. And that really was the first time that, you know, there were other people were willing to sit down and get that on pay-per-view. I actually went to a buddy's house and um, their parents allowed us to order because they had kind of a cool projection system set up in their living room. And you know, we had a group of people. Most of them, like ninety percent of them, weren't really or had ever been wrestling fans. But that was really the first time where I got sitting and watch a show live, and I was with a large group of people, and everybody was getting into it, regardless of their knowledge or, or kind of prior interest
0: do you think that was the best wrestlemania because a lot of people say that was the best one
1: yeah i have it's been a few years since i've actually sat and watched it from start to finish um it 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 holds fond memory just because at that time it was it was the first one i had actually gotten to sit and watch live like i said having a bunch of people who were around and having fun so um I think if I went back and sat and watched it, it would be up for review. I think just also because now having traveled to a couple more live, been to a few live ones since that, um, changes my perspective a little bit. Sometimes the, the live experience plays into it a little more than sitting watching it on TV live, too.
0: So what are your sort of viewing habits now? What, what do you watch wrestling-wise from a, from a week-to-week basis?
1: um AEW Dynamite's really the only steady for sure thing. um I've pretty much done away with with WWE programming, save for I've watched one specific match in the last two years or so, and and that will probably actually tie into an answer to a question coming up here. So I won't go too much into that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I just, I haven't really made the time to sit and kind of get through dark and elevation on all that every week. I, I will hope to be able to catch Rampage when that starts. Um, otherwise, you know, I am I have been into stardom now for the last couple of years. I kind of got into them, I think it was around the time that they ran their show in New York in 2019 over Mania weekend. Um, I, had, I had purchased the big fight TV package that it was a part of so I kind of you know watched took a whole weekend off watched everything that I could pretty much as much on time as possible and um, so I was just starting I you know had known about it and was interested it based on other people's talk of it so I watched that show and then I want to say not long after that I probably started subscribing to stardom world monthly Um, so since then I have been following that i don't necessarily because the way that their shows are you know they they happen live in japan and then usually within a couple days afterwards they'll have them uploaded to view on stardom world so obviously um it's much easier to see spoilers in between the time that the shows happen and when you're actually able to view them but you know that doesn't really doesn't ruin my um enjoyment of the product at all Uh, So other than, like I say, AEW, um, stardom, I try and keep up on as much as possible, but sometimes I'll lag behind and I'll end up binge-watching a couple shows at a time. Um, I'm just starting to kind of crack into TJPW, uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro. Um, I've been subscribing now to, I think it's the Wrestle Universe platform now, which, which originally was DDT. And to- Tokyo Joshi, they now have uh, Noah as well under the umbrella. So it's kind of a, a nice little service too for a pretty minimal price. But I haven't really dug into all that they have to offer quite yet.
0: Did you see the star the main event from the other night that everyone's raving about?
1: I did. I have ordered there. They've done. Um, I think it's three pay-per-views now since this past December. I've ordered each one and watched them. This last show wasn't my favorite overall as a show, but that main event was spectacular. It's probably, they, there's uh, at least an easy five matches that have happened on between those three pay-per-views so far that are pretty much some of my favorite matches so far this year or within the last uh, eight months or so. And I I, I will gladly support them in... in help other people to discover them if possible. Um, I think they're, they're a fun promotion. Their wrestling is improving. I mean, um, I, I know others, you know, Dave's r- raved about that lately. Um, some of the concepts and some of the, the booking things that they do are a little different and unique, which, you know, is fun. So if I can draw other people into it and, and give them to give it a chance, I'm all for it.
0: The next section of questions I call rapid fire, but as I say every week it's it's not really rapid fire at all. But a favourite wrestler of all time, so if you had to pick a favourite wrestler of all time, who would you well, who would you go with for that?
1: I hate to tip my hand too much based on the fact that I've spent the better part of Oh, sixteen 16 years now, going under the moniker of junior horsemen across all of the various <laughs> um, sites and, and groups that I've been a part of. But uh, the nature boy, Ric Flair, would be my go-to.
0: I'm actually disappointed that more people haven't said Ric Flair. We've had a lot of yeah, Brett Harts, a lot of Bretts, a lot, uh, a couple of Sean's I'm I, I don't want to say that no one has said Ric Flair, but I, I'm struggling to think if anyone... There must have been someone that said Ric Flair at some point. But...
1: Well, the I, you know, even I kind of... Uh, having listened to some of the episodes, so not necessarily having the questions, but knowing the, the general discussion topics, I did spend a little bit of time considering if if there was anybody that had moved ahead of him. And there's some some kind of 2A, two, two 2B two contenders that are close. Um, I think, you know, the thing is, too, is there's been a lot of... Um, Answer is kind of based on when you get into wrestling and who your first experiences and, and memories are. So that's kind of you know it's very hard to get away from that or, or not you know not take that into account. Um, so that's that's probably why he's still there for me It's just that you know he had he he was the talker. You know that's part of what drew me into that Crockett promotion because like I said I tried to consume anything and everything pro wrestling related that I could get well lay my eyes on when I first got in and you know I don't shy away from admitting I watched Crockett and I watched WWF. You know, I, I didn't part of the problem was that I when I got into wrestling being a child still, I didn't understand the terial, territorial circuit and, and the lay of the land prior to WWF, you know, going national in eighty four. And so to me as a nine-year-old, Crockett Promotions and WWF were both national companies on the same level, but, you know, when push came to shove, Crockett was, was my love, and WWF was more of my like. I would say, uh, all along, from, from when I started until now, you know, that's undisputed for me. Um, Crockett, to me, was just, it felt more like... People that hated each other and were wrestling because they had to prove something. They had a fight. They had scores to settle. You know, uh, Flair was just the whole package. You know, yeah, he had the look, the talk. You know, his matches at that time were bar none. And, you know, it was fun watching Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage. And, but their style, to me, I recognized even then that, that it was something different that. It wasn't Crockett. So for me, Flair was at the top of the food chain in in Crockett. And, um, you know, I think there's times where I would still be interested in just, if I could, I'd throw on a 45-minute compilation of Flair just talking in the background just to get me pumped up or just for something to to have in my ears because you can listen to virtually the same Ric Flair promo I don't know how many times and it's still fun. It get you going, and it's original. And you know how many other people can deliver a promo like him, even to this day.
0: Oh no, absolutely. Um, the next question is um, favorite match of all time. So, if if, it, if it's not a Ric Flair match, I also want to know what your favorite Ric Flair match is. But what would you go for for your favorite match of all time?
1: Another one where I kind of I I considered a few different options, just because. You know, it's really hard to argue that wrestling isn't now isn't the same as what it was in the late '80s or early '90s. Um, but I'm still going to go with Randy Savage versus Ricky Steamboat from WrestleMania 3. Right. Okay. Um, I I actually just rewatched it kind of in preparation for this. Um, usually, it it had become my go-to every year prior to WrestleMania. I start. I would always watch. Savage and Steamboat as just kind of my WrestleMania build-up. It, it was my pre-game, you know, a week out or something. Um, over time, I kind of started adding a few other matches that really stuck out to me and really felt like, you know, big-time WrestleMania. If you were going to try and get somebody into wrestling and, and the idea of what WrestleMania is about, um, that comes first. And it's just, and regardless of what we know now about... How they practiced it and how Savage apparently had a playbook with the numbers and all the moves and you could, you know, <laughs> call it, you do the spot and, I mean, I don't care. To me, that is one of just the most, and and the thing with the match too is that you can't just watch the match. You have to watch the whole video package leading up to it, the, the promos that they cut, the, the trip to the entrance to the ring, the match, and then the celebration afterwards. I mean, it's kind of one of those it's, it's the whole just a your start to finish of it all it's not just the match that makes it great it's it's just how they built a story how they remind you of, of what the stakes are in this match why these two guys are gonna go do battle and then just the match is just so smooth and fluid and in, in the way that they some of the transitions you know like there's the spot where they they keep reversing into the ropes Um, there's one, the one spot that, that I always think of is Savage takes, um, steamboat by the back of the head and he, he does like a leap over the ropes and, and takes steamboat's throat across the top rope. Savage hits the floor and immediate slide slides in under the bottom rope and goes for the pin. And it's just so quick and fluid and it's just beautiful. And it's, it's stuff like that, that, you know, of course, even I'm sitting here as a 43 year old man just gushing about it and it gets me so excited just to talk about
0: it you can certainly you could definitely make an argument that might be the most influential match in wwf history uh influence on the the generations that came after you know it it was such a such a groundbreaking match in many ways so you, you would choose that over any steamboat flare match then the match you have with, uh, with, with yeah, Savage. Yeah,
1: I mean, the, it was a tough call. It was something I considered, you know. I think that there's room to have a little bit of... Uh, a variety is the spice of life. So, um, Flair is my... I, I say Flair is my favorite, and there are plenty of Flair matches that I love for various reasons, but... Um, yeah, at the end of the day, I, I still like that Savage Steamboat. Um, as, far as, as far as Flair goes, that one... You know, it would. I would say the Flair Steamboat trilogy from '89 um, is really hard to pick one. Yeah. You know, if I think about um, Omega and Okada, for example, you know, they had four really great matches, and and there's more separation for me there as far as which one I would pick if I had to only pick one. Um, I didn't like you know talking about '90 90, late '93. Um, I was really pretty removed from wrestling so i didn't get to see flair and, and Vader until later on down the line when i was kind of playing catch-up um and, and getting a hold of of tapes and you know pre internet streaming abilities that was quite the task having to catch up on those kind of last three or four years or so um so, Flair, Flair Invaders, another one that I think is really underrated and yeah. kind of I'm, overlooked at times.
0: I'd have to go back and check. I, I don't think that match was included on the, the the Ric Flair like free disc set they put out, no. which, which was a really I, great and set. And but think... that, but that match was uh, a a big omission from that box yeah. set for me because I, I love that match.
1: Um, there's also the the there's a couple of flair and barry windham matches Hmm. um from like 86 87 i I think they had a a, a crockett cup and then another one on a a tv that was included. the one that was included on the first flair dvd compilation um those were always you know windham was always awesome in those early years and as a game face. and and actually to be fair uh the Wyndham version of the Horseman is my favorite version of the Horseman <laughs> I was just you know, I, I came in starting you know by the time I got started watching they were in the middle of the Luger run but you know I remember being being glued to my at home glued to my television set watching those, those early clashes and getting to watch you know the tag match and the turn um, Wyndham turning on Luger. And then yeah. later, Wyndham joining the Horsemen, and and thankfully I was I was alive and a wrestling fan at that time and got to watch that play out because that that was cool. The, the the only downside was that I didn't get in in time to see the original Horseman. You know, I didn't really know Oli and, and quite understand who he was so much in in those original years that I was watching.
0: Funny enough, I was going to ask you what was your favorite Horseman. So <laughs> it, it, it it would, it would be. On Rick Tully and, and and Barry Windham.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I think I'd have to go. I'd have to go the same. I, but yeah, you you can't really beat the original with Oli. But like like you say, I I probably didn't see a lot of that either until much later. So I'm very much in the yeah. same 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 boat there with you on that one. Uh, but um, the best live show that you've attended. So you, you said you you've been to a couple of WrestleManias.
1: I've been to three total now um i I haven't attended as many in the last few years as i would have liked to just since the you know kind of the f4w groups kind of started and started going um a lot of times it came down to having to choose between going to the las vegas conventions or going to wrestlemania and you know more often than not las vegas gets the win just based on being las vegas um but there have been, I have, so we had um, 19, of course, which was here in Seattle. That ended up being my first live WrestleMania. I was able to, I got tickets uh, for my birthday, I believe it was that year. And so um, myself and a buddy got to go. And so that would have been my first live mania. And then since then, I've gone to both of the New Orleans manias, which it, New Orleans is kind of one of those things, it's in the same boat as Vegas. Like if, if they go to New Orleans for a WrestleMania, they're really it's very hard for me
0: to say no to going. But su- as far as... At the Superdome, isn't it? It's not it's not the Silverdome, it's the yes. Superdome. I, I never know <laughs> yeah. which one it yeah. is now because of that Hogan promo, but... <laughs> yeah, that,
1: that's, yes, yeah, it's the Superdome. Uh, and that was, and the fun thing, not to get too far off topic, but the fun thing kind of about um, the manias I have attended uh, turned out to be, you know, 19 ended up being... Austin's last match, which we right, weren't yeah. aware was going to be the case. And then 30, the first one in New Orleans, was my second Live Mania, which ended up being the, the where Brock broke the streak. Right, yeah. Um, so, and then um, 34, the, the second New Orleans, didn't necessarily have as much of a memorable um, moment that I can claim, but um, being there for Rhonda's first match, I guess, might be the biggest highlight. To come out of that mania, so I mean, all in all, for three manias, I've I've had three pretty good runs on that aspect. Um, so Mania Thirty, which was the first in New Orleans, is actually one I have. It's a it's a one A one B situation for, for my favorite show, um, and so Mania Thirty would be my favorite show based on the atmosphere and just being there. Um, it ended up being a case where. Uh, myself and uh, Jason, who's on the fight game um, group, who's better known as Sideswipe on the figure four boards and various other social media platforms. We ended up going in, uh, getting tickets with a group that included Ed from San Antonio, who's a somewhat um, <laughs> semi legend in his own mind. Yeah. Uh, and it ended up being notable because he had the the rest of the block of tickets ended up being a bunch of female wrestlers that he knew or was friends with in some way or shape or form. So, um, we ended up, Jason and I ended up, well, we, our original seats, we sat in, it was, it was just kind of us. And, and, and then we got up at one point during the pre-show left to go get a beer. and, And we came back and by this time, um, we had uh, Kaylee Ray and the now Tegan Knox, and then um, Ed had, as well as uh, Leva Bates, was sitting next to Ed. Our original seats had ended up being taken by Shotzi Blackheart and her boyfriend. So that was the group we ended up sitting with for the show. And um, when Jason and I ended up kind of taking different seats, we ended up directly in front of Kaylee Ray and Tegan Knox. And so Um, that was just a fun show watching them because they were so enthusiastic and they were there as fans and to see, you know, some of and this was prior, they were still well, I should take that back, Kaylee Ray was still independent at the time Shotzi as well, Leva um, so, Tegan was the only one that was signed to WWE, but she was, I believe, in the midst of, of recovering from her first knee injury. She hadn't even been renamed Tegan Knox at that point. Um, but they were all just so excited, and of course, this is the same year that they had the very first Women's Battle Royal on the pre-show. So, they were friends and knew a lot of, of the women that were a part of that, and they just were so excited and so vocal and outward about just enjoying the show as fans, that um, it was really cool to be a part of and just kind of be in that environment. As far as my favorite show for, like, the show itself, combined to a lesser extent with the atmosphere, would have been um, the very first Double or Nothing in 2019. Um, We ended up, uh, Dale, who's on Fight Game Group, um, he and I kind of have been gotten to travel now in the last couple years pre-COVID to see some wrestling shows and and have some adventures and so we originally missed out on the ticket presale we both tried and and it was one of those situations where you know AEW tickets were super hot and everybody in the world it seemed like got online and crashed all the services to try and buy tickets so we initially were we we looked at or didn't um, luck out on getting tickets but uh, through some different connections and maneuvers we we had seats initially that um, i think Damien had had procured he actually had some extras that we were going to take and they were higher up towards the top of, of the arena and then um, somebody else i knew, knew knew somebody else who ended up selling a couple of tickets that were down in the 117 or 100 level that were just off the side of the entrance ramp that we ended up being able we, we got our hands on those so um, we had really fun seats for the show unfortunately we weren't sitting with the rest of like the, the FOW observer group we, we missed out on those batch of tickets as well but just that show from top to bottom was just fun and there was excitement in there you know it's a, a first big show by the group and they were getting started and so many of us want to see them ex- succeed and, you know, rise to, you know, if, compete with WWE, if not, you know, kind of nudge them. So just from top to bottom that day, that that was just a fun show to be there and be a part of, to see that the Cody and Dustin match live was, I mean, I don't know if I've ever been a part of a more emotional live match than that. Not not in recent memory, That nothing that I can think of.
0: I said this before on the podcast, but, but that was that should have been a WrestleMania match. You know, Cody and Dustin. Obviously they did I think they did like Stardust versus Goldust on like the Fast Lane before WrestleMania one year yeah. or something. But it was such a missed opportunity because that was such a great story they they told in that double or nothing match. But getting back to, to WrestleMania thirty for a second, do you think obviously Daniel Bryan has his big moment at the end and win to title do you think the streak ending took any of the steam away from the crowd and so daniel bryan's big win didn't get the reaction maybe it could have done
1: i don't think so i mean it didn't personally for me because that that was the i mean that was the big ticket item for me going into that show you know as I remember him having to win that opening match just to get into the main event and then you know being being finally getting there um and and getting that that win at the end and you know I'm he's he's kind of a hometown guy his his hometown is I don't know two two and a half hours away from Vaughnville so it's kind of within the state I've been through there a time or two um I had we had the chance to meet him um Early on, actually, that first year, the first Las Vegas convention that I attended, he ended up coming in um, with Roderick Strong and some people who knew, um, a guy by the name of Peach Machine, who Brian had the uh, grappling battle with that year. So um, for me, it was, I mean, people were absolutely shocked. I mean, there's no questioning that in, in the way that they captured the astonishment on people's faces around that that dome that night was you know that's a it's a memory that will be burned in in my brain in terms of wrestling memories but um i'm i'm really glad that i did get to see daniel bryan kind of complete that that story
0: so i'm trying to think who it was that said it i I think it may have been damien damien gonzalez may have said that people actually were walking out after taker lost that match to brock
1: I, and i don't know i i don't never saw that because i'm pretty sure for that mania i once i got to my seat at the, the you know that day because there was um for that mania there was some sort of complication where the inside concourses like they had it roped off and had certain sections closed off where you could only go in like a one-way direction around the stadium and it was a nightmare i mean it was um, it took us a little while to get in, as I remember. When, but once you got inside, it was like stop-and-go cattle traffic. Everybody was squished together. You were barely moving, and it took forever. If you had a seat on the opposite side of the stadium from where you entered, it was it was slow going, and it was miserable. Um, so once for that one, once I got to my seat, I didn't leave it. So I can't speak to people leaving... Um, after that match
0: the final question i ask everyone on this podcast is it's really a interesting one to uh, you know ask uh, and some people don't really know how to go about answering it because you can kind of cover it from so many different angles but if you could change one thing about wrestling and the wrestling business what would you change
1: I've been pondering this because my, my answer has changed a little bit. Um, and I don't know that I can, I can stick to the one thing part of it so much. Um, in my heart right now, what I believe is that WWE needs to um, keep their brand split. They need to keep Raw and SmackDown as two separate entities. They need to you know do whatever they want to do now. Figure out if they want to make moves. Find you know have a, a draft, have a shakeup, whatever you want to call it. However you get there, you need to lock down Raw and SmackDown as one A, one B. Sorry for that being a reoccurring thing here, but um, <laughs> and then they need to to take advantage of a situation like a Survivor Series where you pit show against show, and it whether it be every match on the card or if it's just one big uh, show versus show elimination match um, make that show mean something and you know pit all the champions against each other have you know multi survivor or classic survivor series style elimination matches if you do like you know you have 11 matches on the show and whoever has 6 points out of the 11 matches at the end Make it to where the, the winning side gets a stake in the next big person coming out of NXT. You 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 take NXT. You make it the the minor league, so to speak. You make it the the, the training um, ground, whatever term you want to put on it. Make that be the place where the new the new people start and they work and they they show that they are ready to move up. To that next level, to those main event rosters, and then you make them the the number one person that both of these brands want, and and give them something that's going to force them to to become the best and earn the right to draft that top prospect out of NXT to their brand. Um, you know, they, they I would really like to see them. Honestly, I would like to see them sold to. Uh, an entity, a corporation, whatever, somebody who's going to say, we want to do away with sports entertainment, we want to give some sort of uh, feeling of legitimacy and, you know, wrestling to this product again, and so somebody who's going to see that through, who's going to be willing to make that long-term plan and stick with it, and um, just just make it to where these brands have something to fight for, you know, there are ways that they can go about it, you know, if, if the concern that over time you're going to see the same matches, you're going to have to book the same people in the same programs. I'm sure there's a way you can figure out something in the future where, you know, people can make trades. You know, I'm going to give you my number two pick out of NXT and this person who's currently on my brand, if you give me the number one pick and, you know, a number six pick. Something, you know, something more uh, real sports-oriented because my my initial thought was just have WWE jump in the water and just have everybody agree to work together, you know, have AEW and WWE tour the the U.S. and just keep them, you know, to where they're not burning everybody out. Um, Make ROH and Impact and some of these MLWs, the smaller groups, you know, let them build and create talent, let them exchange talent, let give people places to go. To try out new things and freshen up, but in the end, my my gut feeling is ww can stage separate. They just have to solidify their vision and what they want to do, and, and find a way to make it kind of a return to pro wrestling. It doesn't have to be wrestling, but move away from the sports entertainment and give us something that's you know uh, competition for AEW that makes AEW book better. You know, m- might make them tighten up their system a little bit more. Let them go and work with some of the other companies. Find ways to rotate talent amongst them. But yeah, I just that would be my wish.
0: You said you'd seen one WWE match in the last two years. So so what 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 was yes. that match?
1: I went out of my way to watch um, Tegan Knox challenge for the uh, NXT Women's title against Io Shirai just because having. Um, met her and and my and actually this would be the best time I think I believe I said WrestleMania 30 was actually WrestleMania 34, the second New Orleans WrestleMania where I met her. But um, like I said, just watching, I mean, I became smitten with her. I don't know if there's really a good way to put this <laughs> and not have it sound horribly creepy, but she just was. I mean, like I just said, she was so energetic and so. Um, she was so excited to be watching and supporting her friends and colleagues and she was so invested in every bit of that show. Um, it was just fun. It was so much fun to be around and, and to kind of take some of that energy. So um, since then I've become a fan and, and enjoy watching her if I get a chance and it's been really horrible to see there's the injury right, bug that yeah. she's been plagued with. Um, we were actually one other thing I, I would like to touch upon, I guess, is, um, up here in Seattle, we have Defy Wrestling, which has been around now for about four years. Um, Cody Rhodes actually headlined the very first show that they ran. And, um, up until they came along, the kind of Washington, Seattle area was brutally starved for pro wrestling of any kind. Um, so they have been just a, a, a huge breath of fresh air for wrestling fans up here but um, they ran a couple of shows in conjunction with Progress Wrestling a few years ago and they did a, a, a Progress show on night one that was specifically Progress um, you know bannered and then they did a Defy show the second night and it was that first night during the Progress show when um, Tegan had her second knee injury, and they actually announced it to the crowd that we'd, that we'd been in an intermission and came back. Um, and We're getting ready to head into the first match in, after intermission, and they just kind of the ring announcer popped in and just said, uh, You know, we want to send good well wishes to her because we, you know, news had come out that she'd gotten injured during the uh May Young Classic tapings. Yeah. So a little bit of, of fandom, fanboyism, I guess. <laughs>
0: Justin it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to finally uh, sit down and do this obviously we we, we tried a couple yes. of times and it d- didn't come together so I'm glad to finally uh, get a chance to do it and and uh, at some point I'd love to have you back on uh, obviously this podcast will come to an end at some point because I'll, I'll run out of guests at some point I'm sure <laughs> so uh, I'll have to think about what I'm going to do next but uh, whatever podcast I choose to do in the future I'd love to have you back at some point
1: I've I've had an awesome time. Um, I there's I know that there's a ton of stuff that I had thought about that I had stored in my brain that I didn't even get to touch on. So well, I, I, I guess more we can than always do, two, uh,
0: We could always do part two. <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, I, there's there's lots of stuff going going back to my early days that you know some that um, that yeah that I would love to touch on. I would you know whatever venture you wind up doing next, I would. Be more than honored to be a part of. If I'm gonna um, throw my two cents in, I would love to have you do something music related as well that involves a guest that um, I know you you had trickled that out there as an idea once. I and did. That yeah, one that got- totally caught my caught my eye, caught my ears, caught my brain. I'm I'm on board for whatever you do. But yeah, absolutely. Be more than honored to come back.
0: Yeah, I'm sure the music, the music podcast, I definitely do. But you get all these ideas, but it's just find the time to do it, isn't it? Because you know, life, yeah. life, life is uh, life gets in the way sometimes. So you
1: don't. You well, t- I was going to say the time zones don't don't help us much either. No. Um, like so, like I t- touched on at the beginning. Um, just my experience in doing a podcast for somebody on on the west coast and east coast of the U.S. is daunting, let alone going international but um like i say i'm glad that i was able to do it and i wasn't wasn't sweating the the reschedules i knew we would get there eventually and i was i was just made me look more and more forward to it
0: yeah speaking of the time zones i far and away the most listened to podcast i did was the one with brian because obviously he was kind enough to retweet it a couple of times and we we got we got finished doing that at like 2 a.m Because obviously it was like it was like four p.m. where he was, and it was like two a.m. where I was, but uh, yeah, or or something like that. I I don't know. I can't remember the exact uh, the exact times now. But yeah, it was um, about two a.m. two a.m. by the time we finished. But uh, yeah, I mean, you you just gotta make these sacrifices sometimes, haven't you? (laughs) It's just uh, well,
1: it's I I like to think it's not too much of a sacrifice if you're having a lot of fun doing it, and it's something that's really uh, a passion of both people so it's absolutely worth
0: it but no thank you again justin and, and like i say we'll we'll definitely uh do something again in the future so so for justin i'm david thank you for listening and uh, join me next time for another episode of the how i caught the wrestling bug podcast i kind of wish i'd gone for a shorter name it doesn't, doesn't exactly uh, roll off the tongue does it that uh that name but anyway uh do join me next time for another episode